Hi there, and welcome to Even If, a weekly podcast about standing firm when life is shaking. I'm your host, Kelly Strife. Strife rhymes with wife. And together, we're finding the courage to approach uncertain and unwanted seasons of life through a posture of faith that stands firm and declares, even if he doesn't, he is still good. I don't know if April is as jam-packed for everyone else as it is for me, but April seems to have more birthdays than I can keep up with in my family, in my friend group. It's just packed with birthdays and celebrations. And starting with my birthday on April 3rd, Peter and I pack pretty much every major life celebration into about a month time frame. We have my birthday on April 3rd, our anniversary on April 22nd, Mother's Day is usually beginning of May, Peter's birthday is May 12th, and usually Easter's thrown in there somewhere too. And so it's always a full few weeks, and usually that's really good. Usually it's good full. But this year, if I'm honest, the grief has really hit me hard. It's a lot of celebrations in a short amount of time. And while we want to honor each of these life milestones, I think this year we've been really painfully aware that the celebrations won't ever look like we want them to. None of those celebrations will ever feel complete again. And I've learned a lot about grief over the last year. People always say that grief comes in waves. It's kind of like the ocean. And While those waves aren't quite as big now as they were last summer right after Imogen died, every now and then I'm still knocked over by a rogue wave that just catches me completely off guard. Sometimes I can see it coming. Sometimes I can see it on the horizon, this massive tsunami that's headed towards me, but usually there's nowhere to go to escape it. I can't outrun it, and so I just kind of steel myself against it. And usually, actually, the best thing we can do is to ride it out. And eventually you learn that you will pop back up to the surface, even though that seems incredibly unlikely in the moments while you're underwater. But other times I can't see it coming. Other times it's triggered by the smallest reminder. And early on, I just got clobbered by the smallest thing that I didn't have control over. Control was really a trigger for me. And I'd go to a restaurant and order something off the menu, and if they didn't have it, I couldn't recover. I would get angry and teary, and I couldn't figure out what else to order. I I couldn't decide to want anything else. Peter and I walked out of a lot of restaurants without eating last summer. It's a control issue because something had happened to me, to my life, that was so completely outside my control, and I didn't want it. And I couldn't handle when that feeling came up again, even when it was over something that didn't really matter, that didn't matter in the long run. One weekend, Peter and I found ourselves at Cracker Barrel. It was just a few weeks after Imogen died, and we were driving back from North Carolina where my family has a home on the coast, and we just didn't want fast food, so we decided to try something different. And we should have known that I wasn't ready. Cracker Barrel has a lot going on. The store, the things on the wall, there's a lot of people, a large room. And I was having a hard time processing everything without getting overwhelmed in life anyway. And so... When the waitress took us to our table, we were right in the center of the room, and I just had this moment where I thought, I can't do this. I can't handle all the stimulation that's happening all around me. I need some part of me that's calm. 
And so I spotted a table over by the window and I thought, okay, I can do it there. I can do it there where I can look outside, where I don't have to get caught up on everything that's happening in the room. And so I asked the waitress if we could just move to that table by the window. And it hadn't been bussed yet. It hadn't been cleaned yet, but we didn't mind waiting. Every table was being used, so it didn't seem to matter which one we sat at. But the waitress told us no, that we couldn't sit at the window. And she gave us some illogical explanation about the restaurant being too busy for us to sit there. It just didn't make any sense. And so I stood there for a few minutes debating what to do. And honestly, what I wanted to do was look her square in the eye and just say, my baby died four weeks ago. Can I sit there now? Something about catching her off guard made me think maybe she'll realize why this matters to me. But fortunately, I practiced a little bit of restraint, which I guess is a good thing. And instead, I waited for her to walk away. And as soon as she did, I took all the plates off the table by the window, dropped them off by the kitchen, found a cloth and wiped the table down and sat myself by the window. I didn't enjoy a single bite of food we ate that day, but I sat where I wanted to sit. And there are so many of those stories. And for some reason, so many of them happened in restaurants for some reason. I really have lost track of how many restaurants we walked out of without eating. So many times it just felt like I wasn't in control, not only of what was happening around me, but I didn't feel like I was in control of my own actions or my own emotions or my own response. It just felt like I was living in this fog, watching something happening to me. And the more out of control I felt, the worse it got because not being in control was one of my triggers in the first place. And just for the record, I am in counseling. We do talk about this. And while these are pretty normal responses to trauma and grief, there's also a lot of healing that can happen so that these responses won't always be there. Don't worry. We're talking about those things. But I tell you these stories today because the past few weeks have just knocked me down. Mother's Day and getting close to Imogen's first birthday and other disappointments and losses that this season of life has held have joined forces to form this giant wave. And even though I could see it coming, I could see it on the horizon, there wasn't anything I could do but hold on and ride it out. And that means feeling the deep pain. And some of you know the kind of pain I'm talking about. There isn't even a word for it. That means letting my body be taken over by sobs that have me on my knees, falling to the ground beneath their weight. That means feeling anger that the people around me are supposed to help me and they can't make this right. And of course they can't. On this side of heaven, it can't be made right. Good things can come out of it. God can give beauty for ashes and joy for mourning, and I 100% believe that he will, but I won't ever have Imogen back here on earth. I won't ever get to watch her grow or hear her first words or do whatever it takes to get that first laugh. And this weekend, I just started wondering how long her curls would be and whether or not she'd smile easily, I did not as a baby, or whether we'd have to work for it, whether she'd be sassy or whether she'd be sweet. And since I've spent several weeks talking about God's goodness, which I am 100% sold on, But since I've spent so much time talking about that, I wanted to circle back around to our pain because I've been really aware of my pain the past couple of weeks. And his goodness doesn't diminish what we've lost. It doesn't minimize this massive crater that's left in our lives. 
And I think by not acknowledging that, it keeps us from fully experiencing his goodness in our lives. If we don't acknowledge the pain, if we don't allow ourselves to feel what we've lost, then we can't really understand or acknowledge his goodness to us. Last spring, I was invited to speak at a women's retreat in Montreat, North Carolina, which was really special because I'd grown up going to Montreat each summer, and so I had all these memories of growing up there. It was so nostalgic to be back there as an adult. But the theme for the retreat was Seasons of the Heart, and so I worked with the leadership team to pick a few seasons to talk about during our time. And in this weirdly prophetic moment, one of the key seasons I talked about was the season of grief. And I'd experienced grief in my life before, so I wasn't coming into this completely cold, but I certainly hadn't experienced anything like I have now, like I've lived this past year. And so I spent time studying and preparing and choosing my words really carefully because I know it's such a sensitive topic for people in the room. And what's so interesting is that I had no idea at the time that I was speaking into my future, that I was teaching myself something that I would desperately need not even three months later after I shared these words. Because God is good and God is worthy of our worship, but he's also really present and near in our pain. And I don't want that to get lost in this conversation about his goodness. The theme for the retreat was based on Ecclesiastes chapter 3, which tells us there's a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. It tells us that grief is appropriate and healthy and good as long as we live here on earth. It's a part of our existence. This isn't just a pull yourself up by your bootstraps and believe what's true kind of podcast. Because God is good, but We're really sad and we ache and we wish with all of our might that things were different. And we cry and we groan and we hurt and all of those things have a place, a rightful place, a healing, purposeful place in our lives. And God was kind enough to give us the story in scripture that we can look to anytime we feel like we have to plaster a smile on our faces and just suffer through. And so we're looking at John chapter 11, where we find the story of Lazarus. I know it might be familiar, but there are some really key observations that I don't want us to miss along the way. And at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick. Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that the one he loved was sick. And so we might think that Jesus would have gone running, that he would have dropped everything he had going on to head back to Bethany, but he doesn't. He stays put right where he is, and he finishes his business there before heading back toward his friends. And by this time, Lazarus has died, and Jesus knows that. And so we're going to pick up reading in John chapter 11, verses 17 through 35. I know it's long, but I don't want us to miss anything here. So starting in verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. And quick observation here, Martha ran to Jesus in her grief, but Mary took her time. 
And I think that's really critical because there are times when we turn to Jesus at the first sign of his advance, at the first sign of his presence. But sometimes it takes us longer to move toward him, especially after we've been disappointed or let down, especially in our woundedness and brokenness. And Mary and Martha give us this expression of both examples. So Martha heads to Jesus and she says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And I love that she's already looking toward the eternal perspective. She's already thinking toward that kind of resurrection. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied in the middle of her grief. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now it's Mary's turn. Now she's going to meet Jesus. And in verse 30, now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, notice there are people around her comforting her. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She repeats these same words that Martha had met Jesus with. God, if you'd been here, you could have done something. This would have turned out differently. He would still be alive. And again, I find her response so genuine and so authentic. If you've gone through some kind of traumatic loss, this unexpected loss or grief, then you know exactly what they were doing because I did this for weeks after Imogen died. You play the story in your head over and over again. Your brain is looking for a different ending, a way to change the script, to rewrite the way the story turned out. And so you find the smallest things that you could have done differently, that looking back might have changed the outcome completely. If only we'd induced our labor when we'd been at the doctor less than 48 hours earlier. If only we'd scheduled a C-section when Imogen wouldn't stay head down. If only my blood pressure had been just a little bit higher, then maybe they would have sent me to the hospital and discovered that something was wrong instead of sending me home thinking everything was fine. And that's exactly what both Mary and Martha do with Jesus. If only you'd been here, you could have done something. The story could have turned out differently. So verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. Don't miss this. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. See, when Lazarus died, 
Jesus in his divinity knew what was coming. And moments later, he raised Lazarus from the dead, but he first responded out of his humanity and he wept with them. And he set this example for us that there is a time to grieve, even when we hope in something eternal, even when we believe in eternal life, even when we know how the story turns out, it is appropriate to grieve and acknowledge the loss. A few years ago, there was an orca whale in the news because this orca whale gave birth to a calf that had only lived a few hours before passing away. And this wasn't really remarkable in and of itself because no calves have been born and lived for over five years now. But what was remarkable, what made the news, was that this mama whale carried the calf for 14 days on her back before finally letting her go. She carried this baby with her for 14 days straight without a break before she finally left her to rest. And they called it her tour of grief. This whale was so sad in so much pain that she wouldn't let the baby go. And I shared this story at the retreat last year and now I relate to it so much more. Because after you've carried a baby inside of you for months, it's physically like a part of you has gone. A part of you has died. It's not supposed to be this way. And I imagine that she couldn't bear the thought of being separated from her baby. That's not natural. It's not natural to be ripped away from someone so quickly, especially that soon after birth. And I imagine that as she carried this baby, she wanted to feel the weight, the gravity of what had been lost. She carried this baby on her back, and no matter how tired she got, it was better than feeling the separation. And I think even more than that, she wanted her grief on display for others to see. It was a physical reminder of what was happening inside of her, and she needed her grief to be visible so that it wasn't forgotten or overlooked. And then after 17 days, one day, she let this baby go. And the scientists that were tracking her saw her swimming with her pod, chasing a school of salmon, no longer holding the baby on her back. And I don't know exactly what prompted her to let the baby go. I don't know if she intentionally decided she was ready, that it had been long enough. I don't know if the load got too heavy and she physically couldn't do it anymore, or if she just realized she couldn't pursue what was next with the baby on her back and it was time to move forward. But I love this story because it shows us that all of creation grieves. All of creation feels loss. And that our grief doesn't have to be stuffed away or hidden. It's not something that's shameful or something we need to be embarrassed by. It's not something we have to get over in a certain time frame or that we have to keep to ourselves. We can carry our grief in full view, on full display for as long as we need to. We can let ourselves feel the weight of it as long as we need a scale. And we can honor the gravity of what we've lost in front of others, and most importantly, in front of God. And that's what Jesus shows us in John chapter 11. Jesus wept. It says that he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled, and then he wept alongside his friends. 
Jesus grieved over the loss of his friend and possibly he was even weeping and grieving for what he knew was coming for him, for what he knew he was going to have to endure. And he grieved for Mary and Martha as he felt the weight of their loss. He entered into their pain physically, mentally, and emotionally, despite the fact that he knows what's coming. He knew how the story would end. He knew Lazarus was not gone forever. He knew the story was about to make a massive plot twist, a twist that would dry the eyes of Mary and Martha and reveal the fullness of his divine power and nature, that even death wasn't forever. And this foreshadowed his ultimate victory over death to come. But still, he set this example for us that there is a time to grieve even when we hope in something more. We know the end of the story, but they didn't. We interpret scripture in light of the whole story, but we can't overlook their honest and authentic emotions and response when they didn't know how things were going to turn out. And so we have the examples of Mary and Martha who in their grief cry out, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Where were you? Why didn't you come? Why didn't you do something? What were you thinking? What are you doing here? And for those of us who are asking God those same questions right now, he can handle it. Not only can he handle it, he invites it. He wants our honesty and our intimacy because Honesty produces intimacy. And when they approach him with their grief, not only does he not turn them away, he doesn't rebuke them for their questions and for their pain, but his response is to be deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He doesn't take her pain away. He enters into it with her. He allows himself to feel it and to be moved by it. And for some of us, that's all we need to know right now, that God enters our pain. And that's a huge statement that's a massive general observation because, of course, he enters into our pain. He left heaven and became man, opening himself up to physical pain and suffering, to mental anguish, to emotional isolation that he never would have felt in heaven, but that we feel as humans on earth. He has felt the human emotions that we experience throughout his life, but then really specifically and intimately and personally in this moment, he allows himself to feel the fullness of what Mary and Martha are experiencing, even though he knows what's about to happen. And so while I fully believe that God is moving in the midst of our pain and grief and loss, while I 100% believe that God will bring beauty from our ashes and that he's a God who redeems and restores all things, he demonstrates for us that we can believe and still ache, that we can believe and still hurt and still cry, and still grieved. And maybe that's all some of us need to know right now, that God is with you in your pain. And in the early days of loss, however you define early, that's oftentimes all we can handle knowing, is just the fact that Jesus is here with us. But if we keep reading, in John chapter 11, we find out what Jesus does next. 
And starting in verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved. And again, this passage highlights that Jesus was deeply moved. There's no way we can miss this. Again, Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there for four days. And side note, because I love this so much, Jesus is about to give them the very thing they want the most. He's about to restore life to Lazarus. And Martha is arguing with him and trying to stop him. And I find this really humorous because of the situation, but also really convicting because Jesus is answering their prayer, but it doesn't look like they expected it to. And they can't see what he's doing. And so they argue with him right in the middle of the answer to the prayer they'd prayed. And that's so like me. How many times have I argued with God while he's doing exactly what I wanted him to because I couldn't see it? And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And so the second thing I know, not only is Jesus entering into our pain and our grief, but also life always follows death. Spring follows winter. Morning comes after the night. Beauty comes out of ashes. Jesus offers us eternal life after our own physical and spiritual death. This season is not forever. Life always follows death. And the elephant in the room here is that Jesus doesn't always resurrect the specific thing we've lost. I know that. Trust me, I know that. And in this story, the resurrection is so obvious and so clear that it's hard to not compare our outcome with theirs. But don't discount the truth of who God is and what he's doing just because it's harder to see in our own lives than it was in theirs. Whatever it is you've lost, whatever it is you're grieving, And these can be major life events or these can be small everyday disappointments, but whatever it is that's been taken or stolen from you or whatever God has asked you to surrender, he is at work bringing life from the most barren places in our lives. And I don't know what it'll look like. And honestly, I want it to look like Imogen here on earth. And I know that's not going to be the specific resurrection that we receive. But everything in scripture and everything in this story points me to a God who meets me in my loss, enters into my pain, and still brings life to the most broken parts of my story. So right now, allow yourself to feel the full spectrum of your grief. Acknowledge the pain. Name the loss. Accept the outbursts. Turn to Jesus in it. And some of us will be like Martha and run there right away. And some will be like Mary and take a little longer to get there. But whenever you do, you will find a God who doesn't despise your emotions, who doesn't rebuke you for your questions and your pain, but offers you the comfort of his presence. 
as he enters into your loss with you. Thanks so much for joining us for this week's episode of Even If. My prayer is that even if your knees are weak, today's episode offers you enough strength to keep standing firm. See you back here next week for the next episode of Even If.